Okay, buddy. Nice and simple this time. <clears throat> In a world of Veltima fungicide, five feet reign supreme. Hey, remember, less dramatic? Five feet. Just five feet. Five feet. Nope. Sixty inches. Look, man, just say Veltima fungicide lets you treat corn as early as five feet. Nice. Veltima fungicide from BASF. Coming sooner to a field near you. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Hello, Broncos country. Are you ready to huddle up? I am Carl Dummler, and with me, as always, we have Nick Kendall. This show's focus is all things that pertain to your Denver Broncos, with an extra focus on the upcoming NFL draft in two weeks. With Chad and Luke rejoining us on the Huddle Up, Nick and I will continue to talk general Broncos news, but we'll be much more draft-heavy in our content, because building teams in April, well, it's as fun for us as the actual games on Sunday. Follow myself on Twitter at MHH, as well as follow Nick at MHH, and add us as much as you like, and follow the podcast account at HuddleUp underscore MHH. We are active on social media and love to talk prospects and Broncos. And I'm sure today's podcast will have a few of you talking. We know you listeners are as football and Bronco crazy as Nick and me. So please give us a click and subscribe to us on iTunes as well as iHeart, Stitcher, and Speaker. And don't forget to share us on Facebook and Twitter. We wouldn't be here today without you listeners. So please take the time to rate and subscribe to let your voices be heard on how you enjoy the show. Today's episode... We decided to reveal our Bronco big board. That's why I figure a few of you might have a few guys that you disagree with, Anna. And and even between the two of us, we have a few guys we disagree. And and that's what I wanted to get to before we get into the the rankings. We we decided to do top 20, but wrote down our top 30. uh, Just because we knew we'd have guys we didn't quite agree on. And then we kind of figured out a an average between them. And so we'll talk about some of our differences and why we have differences on them. But I just wanted to put that out there that uh, this is, there's going to be some differences between us. The other thing to keep in mind, this is a Bronco big board. Yes. Specifically to Denver. We're not going to have any quarterbacks or anything like that. Right. I think we all pretty much know Broncos are not taking quarterback. So, not a big deal to not to have them on the big board. Doesn't mean that they wouldn't be up there or anything like that. But yes, so when it's Bronco big board, that means we've looked at prospects that we think would be a great match for the Broncos, especially if you're talking top 30 prospects for pick number 20. So yeah, I want to clarify for that Browns uh, trade rumor. It's not something that's at all imminent. And like some people are thinking like, you know, Denver is going to trade down right away. Like this trade could go down next week. And that's just that's just not the case. Instead, what's happening is that the Browns and the Broncos are laying a foundation of value for the pick in case the Browns want to trade up. The Browns have a buttload of selections, and there might be a quarterback around 20 that they'd want to hop the Giants, they'd want to hop Houston, ensure that they get the guy that they want. If they don't take a quarterback at one, hopefully they don't for their own sake, they like Miles Garrett, or if they don't take one at 12. So instead what's going on is what's happening with a lot of teams is there's just, you know, calls back and forth to establish value and whatnot. Now, if Denver's top 15 players are off the board at 20, Denver's more likely to trade down maybe a little less value. If the Browns really want, you know, let's say Patrick Mahomes falls there 
and they love Patrick Mahomes, Denver might squeeze out a little extra value. So it's just more about laying groundwork. And there are a lot of teams that are discussing right now, but the Browns make a lot of sense as a team that would be aggressive to move up in that range to jump Houston and other teams like Kansas City as well in order to ensure that they get their guy because they have the picks to do it. And if I was LA, I would be, I mean, I obviously want to take one of those top three tackles, but I feel like this draft class, if you can get, you should try to get as many second and third round picks as you can because that's where there's a lot of talent. There's not a lot of elite guys, but there's just a bunch of really solid starters that could be pro bowlers. You know, not, not, not many franchise changers in that regard, but just solid players. What do you think, Carl? No, I, I agree. And something, I mean, with the trade thing, Broncos did this last year. We, we've heard rumors of them talking to teams about wanting to trade up clear to, you know, mid-teens uh, if Paxton Lynch was there and just talking to teams and trying to figure out what kind of value they were looking for. And, you know, they were asking for too much. And so the Broncos just kind of kept hoping that he would fall and fall, and, and he kept falling at least into the range where they, they were able to trade up. And so, yes, teams start laying the groundwork now. I, I wouldn't read too much into any kind of trade talk. It's just teams making sure they, like you said, they have the groundwork laid out and uh, and see what happens. And if the players aren't there for the Broncos, I mean, this could be one of those perfect scenarios. You know, it's I guess I could say it's, it's a win-win. Either the tackles fall to the Broncos and they say, we can't pass this up, or the tackles are taken and that pushes the quarterbacks down and maybe we start getting a bidding war there for 20 and we have Houston, Kansas city, the giants, Cleveland, everybody starts getting into a bidding war and we've seen with quarterbacks, the, you know, the, the trade chart that so many people want to talk about goes out the window. Yeah. Yeah. Premium. Yeah, exactly. And so all of a sudden it goes from maybe getting the Browns second and third pick that we get their two second round picks. You know, or we get the the Texans uh, first round pick, third round pick, fifth round pick. You know what? You know, it just it can go crazy anytime quarterbacks are involved. So it, it could be a really good spot for the Broncos. Um, but then it also could mean that we're missing out on the tackles. So that I don't know. It, it's it's a it's a win win. But it could also mean that we have we, we leave the draft going. Who's our left tackle? And yeah, and that could happen. That could happen at 20, though. I mean, right. <laughs> no, nothing's guaranteed in the draft. Right, but. exactly. So, yeah, it's it, it's going to be a crazy day. I'm I can't wait. Every year the draft, there's things that happen that just leave you scratching your head like what in the world's going on and it, it just I love it. You never know what's going to happen. And so that's that's why I I love talking big board and how we have players ranked, how other people have players ranked and and just seeing who likes who. You know, I've already had conversations today with a few people of um, players that I really like that they're sitting there saying, man, that guy is terrible. And players they like, I'm going, what? What are you talking about? Who is this guy? And uh, but yeah, so it's just it's a fun time. Everybody sees things a little bit differently. And uh, that's that's why it's, you know, called the, you know, a crapshoot where even the best people who have been doing it for years miss out on many, many prospects. And yeah, like it's not a for sure thing either. You know, there's the human element, not only just for the prospect that you draft, but the situation that they come in, the players around them. There's just so many unquantifiable variables that have to be taken into account. So, I mean, it's just 
you know, we can say that we're experts, you know, we're having, we're on a podcast. So I feel like we know more than the average Joe, maybe, you know, in the end, it's still a crapshoot, you know, we'll do the best that we can. You know, we, you and I both, you know, watch film from September onwards. You know, we have a, gosh, it would take 20 years to scroll back on our Facebook messenger just to find prospects. And we, I mean, we have a, we're on a forum that we talk on and we are, 2017 draft post is I think it's approaching a hundred pages and we yeah. started that like a week after last year's draft ended. Yeah. And there, there's about three of us that post and the rest of them go, Oh, thanks for letting us know. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's incredible. Like it's an addiction, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I need more. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I get the shakes. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm the same way. So it's, it's fun. That's why you and I've, you know, made our connection of just wanting to to do these kind of things and, because we just both love the draft so much. And, and with that, you know, I, I'm looking at even just, I, I, let's just jump into the big board here. Sounds um, good. You know, we have, both of us have for number one prospect in this entire draft, Miles Garrett. Absolutely. And, you know, th- there's been plenty of number one overall prospects that have, have flamed out of the league. I mean, it, it's crazy how many fail, you know, and Again, like I said, we, we see the talent, we see the athleticism, but that doesn't mean he's going to work out. Yeah. Um, you know, we just saw, I don't know if you've heard this incident yet or not, uh, with ESPN where he canceled an interview because oh. he didn't like the guy. Have you heard about this? I have not. This is okay. Spill okay. Beans. Here we go. So <laughs> he was supposed to be on, I think it was Mike and Mike, and they had a guest star that was on. And Miles Garrett heard that this guy was going to be there. I can't remember who it was and had heard that this guy had been speaking not so highly of him, that he'd been saying that he was more athlete than football player, that he didn't really like contact as much as, as what he should, that he didn't make as many plays as he should for as as athletic as he is. And was just saying, you know, that he had some concerns about him. And Miles Garrett said, I don't want to go talk to this guy and canceled the interview. And Looking it up on my smartphone, it was Booger McFarland. There you go. Okay, so. I knew it was kind of a weird name, but um, <laughs> Booger's a normal name. There you go. Okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry to all you Boogers out there. Yeah. Uh, um, but anyway, yeah, you know those kind of things just kind of pop up, and you go, well, yeah, "What? What is this guy? You know, does he, you know, crack under the pressure of any kind of criticism? Because that, I don't care if you're the number one overall prospect, you're going to have some criticisms." Yeah, you're actually probably amped up more because you're expected to do great day one. And so he better be prepared for that. And, you know, is this that red flag that that's going to be just too much for him to handle? Um, So even the number one overall prospect, you know, the guy that's supposed to have like zero question marks, they're still there. And, And that's the human element, like you said, of, you know, does this guy have the mental capacity to handle what the NFL is going to throw at him? Do they want to be great? Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, we could argue that there for a little bit, you know, Von Miller, there was a lot of questions of whether he really wanted to be great. You know, did, did the, the drugs matter more than, than football? And thankfully, he got a great mentor. And that's, again, going back to he's in the right situation with the right people. Uh, you know, he could have gone down the path of, of the 49ers, you know, pick that was, you know, number, number seven overall pick. And uh, in that same draft, who was looking like another great pass rusher and drugs and partying and getting arrested and all those kind of things outweighed his desire to be a great football player. And, you know, to be honest, I agree with Booger McFarland right now. Miles Garrett is much more flash than he is substance. 
he does not use technique. A lot of times he just goes out there and he's going to be like, I'm bigger, faster, and stronger than the guy I'm going against, and I'm going to win that way. You don't see him set up. You don't see him use his hands very often. He just wins on athleticism. And that can, you know, he can get by with that, even in the SEC. But if he doesn't develop some technique, he's going to have some trouble. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I think Cam Robinson did so well against him. You see Cam struggle against Derek Barnett, who's much more polished, not as athletic. And then you see him go against Miles Garrett, where Miles Garrett's not even threatening his inside shoulder. And Cam Robinson can get to the outside every play and get his hands on him. You know, so Garrett's, I mean, there's obviously some concerns about him, but as the number one edge rusher in this class and a class of not any elite quarterback, he definitely is the, the safest pick at, at the one. I think he's, I mean, we both put him one, so that seems obvious. Right, right. Yeah, we're, we're nitpicking here on some things. Yeah. You know, that, that's what you, when you've watched as much film as we have and <laughs> you, you just start seeing things that, that probably in the end aren't going to be as big a deal. And, and that's just kind of how it goes, especially this time of year where everybody's looking for the nitpicking and, and uh, I don't know, it just so keep that in mind. We still have him as both of our number one overall prospect. We both think he's going to be great in the NFL. You know, there, there's just always going to be some questions. And I, I think he can answer them. Um, I do worry a little bit about where he's going because he's most likely going to Cleveland. Wah, and, wah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> where careers go to die. You know, I, I don't think they've been as bad at drafters as people make them out to be. I think they've just had a chaotic situation when draft picks get there. Yeah. And I do think that they have finally kind of mellowed out a little bit. They've been making some smarter decisions and, you know, just not being the Browns, <laughs> I guess you could say. And so I I, I like the I like Hugh Jackson. I think he's a good coach. I think if given the right situation, he could actually be, you know, win a lot of games. And so I think Miles Garrett would be a great pick, and I think he could do well for him. I like Hugh Jackson up until he decides to pick OJ Howard at twelve to keep him from us. <laughs> other than that, no, yeah, he's. I think he's a good coach. I think it was a mistake that they got rid of him in Oakland. I think he had them going a direction that personally I like. He's very versatile in his offenses. He likes to run the ball, and he's got the respect of his players. So yeah. I think that. He's probably the best coach the Browns have had since Bill Belichick. So that's a lot of high praise, but I mean, yeah. there hasn't been a lot since then. So right. we'll see. Yeah, see if they have the patience with him yeah. to, to really develop this group. Yeah. And Miles Garrett is not coming to Denver, period. Unless, yeah. unless he does something so horrible that we don't even want to take him in the first round. There's just no way. He's too talented and too key of a position. Yep. I mean, you saw last year with uh, what was the offensive tackle – that Tunsil, yes, Laramie Tunsil. You know he was top five pick, and even with the the drug videos coming out like an hour before the draft, he still only fell, you know, to the mid teens. I think he fell to twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And so, even with that, you just have to to keep that in mind. He'd have to do something horrendous to to fall to anywhere close to what we could ever get him. And at that point, you're probably sitting there going, "Why would we want him?" Yeah. Although, my God, him with Von Miller would be incredible. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Not happening, but just, man. Yeah, yeah. Fantasy draft on Madden. Just that's the yeah. only way it's going to happen. <laughs> there we go. All, All right. right. Well, let's move on to. Agreed. Yeah. yeah to some others. Most like, I'll, I'll tell you now, most of the guys that we have in the top 10, probably not making it to us. Yeah. But it's still fun to talk about them. They're still fun to watch. 
Um, you know, I've watched a couple of these guys where I had to shut off the video just because it about made me cry that I knew that we'd never have a chance at him. But yeah, and, and, and Solomon Thomas kind of falls into that. He has been a, a draft riser. He was a guy, oh, what was it, back in January that you and I were talking about him a lot? Yeah. Because I think it people was, had him. Uh, it was people before had the bowl him. game. Yeah. People had him as a second round pick, you know, third round pick kind of thing. And we're both sitting there going, what are people talking about? This yeah. guy is just, I mean, he's exploding off the page. He's, you know, off the video and he's um, splitting double teams. He's making plays in the backfield. I mean, he just, he was crazy. And you could tell, I mean, offenses tried to stop this guy and they couldn't do it. The only way they could was constant double teams and running away from him. And even then he would still be able to make plays, jackknifing in the backfield, powering guys in the backfield and anchoring and considering he's what 275 280 I mean and they're playing him at five tech that's I mean he has an incredible skill set and I think he's super young too I think he's only 20 years old yeah yeah so. he has very very high ceiling I've, I've seen some people kind of downgrading him lately I, I don't know I just <laughs> I, and I know everybody's going to disagree on some things I just I'm not sure how you can't see this guy being a top five prospect so yeah when we're projecting these guys it's not just that, you know, we're not looking just at the stats. If that was the case, we would be talking about Derek Barnett in the top 10 because he racked up a heck ton of stats in the SEC. But we're looking at their athletic profiles, how they win, if they have elite traits, and how that projects to the next level. And I see Solomon Thomas. I mean, he may not have the elite burst or that an edge player. He's kind of a little bit of a tweener, but he wins. He wins on tape and he has enough athleticism and strength that I don't think it matters. You put him at five tech, seven tech, three tech on a nickel situation. He's going to be disruptive and a good player at a valuable position. So I would love to have him, but it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. He, he kind of reminds me of Michael Bennett for the Seahawks. You know, that guy that can just move up and down the line and make plays everywhere. And you just find the mismatch and, and just let him go. Um, I just, I, th- those kind of players are hard to find that you can move inside and outside and see them make plays. Yeah. Very talented player and Denver's not going to sniff him. So yeah. What can you do? Yeah. So we'll move on to number three here. One of our favorites that we've been trying to pound the table for, for a while. And maybe we pounded too hard because he has just gone crazy on, on draft boards. Uh, OJ Howard. You don't see a tight end ranked maybe number three overall in a, in a draft class. But you and I both have this guy just, I don't know. It, it'd be hard to pass on him ever if he was there at 20. I don't think there's a chance of that anymore. It seems like everybody has him being a top 10 prospect now. And But just what he could bring to the Broncos is just would be amazing. It's something that we've been missing big time. Yeah, we haven't had a threat like him since – Shannon Sharp, to be completely honest, he can block, he can move, he does everything as coaches ask of him, and just an overall dynamic weapon. I mean, he's not the best blocker in this draft class, he's not the best jumper, he's not the fastest, but he's great at, like, everything. And, I mean, I remember back in November, October, when the debate was Christian McCaffrey versus OJ Howard, and I got into a few debates, he, more than a few, saying O.J. Howard is vastly superior to Christian McCaffrey in many ways, you know, just 
even I, it's not just about the tape. Again, it's not, don't look at the stats, throw the stats out the window. Look at the tape. How do they win? What are they elite at? Are there guys like that in the NFL, you know, that project that, you know, like the argument against McCaffrey is there's not many guys that size winning in the ways that he's winning. You know, you see Reggie Bush, a lot of those guys are overdrafted in that profile. But OJ Howard, man, he reminds me a lot of Travis Kelsey, how he wins. He's not much of a go up and get it guy. You know, we haven't seen, granted, he might be because we didn't see that much of tape of that at Alabama, but instead he's going to win in routes. He's going to win underneath. He's going to win the intermediate part of the field. And once he gets the ball in his hands, he could take off 70 yards. He can stretch the seam. And he's just going to be a very safe, dynamic playmaker. And I don't think he's going to be at 20, but if he was, he's one that I would ignore tackle for. Yeah. I mean, you and I've talked about in the past of like, yeah, like you said, he's not the greatest blocker, but he is a good, good blocker. And he's one that works hard at his craft. He has gotten better every year in college. He came back this past year because he wanted to prove he could become a great blocking tight end. You know, that, that's amazing to me. You know, when you have that kind of attitude, I want to become a great blocking tight end. You know, that's, that's the thankless job. The guy that holds the edge that allows the running backs or the quarterback and, you know, in Alabama's case to go and be the people that have the glory. And yeah, he just, he did well. And to have that, that sixth option on the offensive line, when we are trying to run the football that he can kick you, he can help on the edge and, and then teams still have to worry about him taking off down the seam. I don't know. It just, I love the word. I, I don't know if you've listened to it yet or not, but uh, John or, or Vance Joseph's press conference uh, just a couple days ago. Yeah. And uh, he talked about adding more juice to the team. And to me, OJ Howard is a bunch of juice being added to the team in many I mean, different his, ways. His name is literally Orange Juice. He is the guy he was talking about. I'm pretty sure. It's gotta be him. <laughs> We're adding OJ. There we go. There as long as go. he doesn't take off in a white Bronco, like another OJ we know, that would be yeah. a home run pick. <laughs> yep. No, every Bronco fan should be happy about that pick if it ever happens. But like you said, it, it's the, the odds are very much stacked against us. But we've seen crazier things. Yeah. You know, I we've seen prospects fall that nobody thought possible. And, you know, we had a couple to us, you know, to the Broncos. Yeah. Bradley Roby was supposed to be a top 15 pick. Uh, Shane Ray. Shane Ray is another that at one point was a top seven pick until he had some off the field issues. But you know, Sylvester Williams, all these guys, we did not expect to be there. Right, right. You know, Elway has done great working to kind of let the the board fall to him and see who just happens to be there. And uh, that patience has really paid off. And those guys have been big weapons, most of them at least so far. And uh, it's, it's been nice. And, you know, it's great to to have a GM that does that, that doesn't panic, doesn't make the the crazy move like, Oh, this is a position we have to absolutely have. And I know some people are worried about that with the offensive line. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You know, but we, we have, you and I both have, uh, four guys from the offensive line that are in the top 20. And that's right. I think that's about right, especially for Denver, because it's not, this isn't a pure big, big board and it's not, you don't draft purely based on need, but when you have a need, you weight those guys. I'm a stats person. I did epidemiology. That's a long word for all the listeners out there. So I think of things statistically. And when you have a need, especially at a value position like tackle, those are going to be raised up. You know, 
maybe it's you can call it a little bit of a reach, but I don't think so, especially with that fifth-year option, getting a starter at that value position for such a cheap long-term contract. I mean, that is so incredibly valuable in today's NFL. Yeah. So it well, just raises our value that we need them a little more. Right, exactly. And you and I are both trench guys. So yes. I think that kind of bumps them up even a little bit more for us. You know, we, we, I mean, I love the skill position players. I do. I was a skill position player when I was playing. And so I've always loved those guys. But at the same time, I also realize they are dependent upon so many other positions. Yes. Foundation before frill. Right. You need a quarterback that can get you the ball. You need an offensive line that can hold long enough to, you know, get the ball to you, you know, that, you know, or if you're running back to actually open up some holes for you to do something, you know, it's, we saw that last year. Running backs yeah. didn't have a whole lot of holes and wide receivers. You know, there was a couple times where you saw Emmanuel Sanders just jumping around going, you know, just, he was wide open. And if the, just that half second more, you know, what could have, could have happened, what could have been. And, you know, our offense wasn't, I mean, they were terrible. Okay. Offense was terrible, but it wasn't that far off. Like if it was just a few things different, things could be, I don't know. At least average. <laughs> it would be better. nice if the uh, it'd be nice if the quarterback didn't lock onto the primary read and then just brush off that secondary read right away to the dump off. But that's right. just that's a different topic. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We'll we'll stay on topic here. We'll we'll that's for another day. Uh, maybe after the draft we can talk about some of those things a little bit. But for now, uh, just getting back to the board, we have Marshawn Lattimore, and this was a guy that you and I had one of our bigger gaps in our evaluation, I guess you would say you had him at number three overall. I had him at number eight. Yes. So I, I know for you, you view this guy as a huge number one overall corner, especially specifically for our scheme. I mean, if we ran a more zone scheme, I don't think I'd have him as high, but his ability to tackle and just his athleticism and his fluidity and his lower half at his size. I mean, that's rare. That is so rare. And then you're getting a value position at, you know, cornerback being one of the four pillar positions in building a roster along with quarterback, edge rusher, and offensive tackle. And I don't think, I don't see how you wouldn't have him higher. I mean, I understand Denver doesn't really need cornerback, but he's just, he is that good. And that position is that valuable that I just, I, if, if he gets out of the top five, it's a, it's crazy to me. There's no way he gets past the Titans at five. I guess here's why I dropped him a little bit. It's a little bit of the the injury history. Yeah. You know, he's always had the, just been a little bit dinged up until this past year. So does this mean that he's got the injuries figured out with his hamstrings? Because, you know, we've seen cornerbacks. That's always been a concern. Hamstrings, uh, you know, quads, whatever, just with their, their legs. Um, so does he get to the NFL and that become an issue? And, and, and I guess I shouldn't worry about it as much because the Broncos have always done well taking care of their players. That's one of the, the biggest traits that I think the Broncos offer to any player coming in. We have a great training staff. Yes. And, really? But it, it's still, it's just that little bit of concern of this guy always being that what-if player. You know, What if he was healthy? What could he have been? And, but if he's there at 20, yes, I'm taking him in a heartbeat. You know, if he's there at 15, I'm thinking about trading up for this guy. You know, even though it isn't a position of need, like you said, it is such a position of value. And for the Broncos, one thing that Elway has always done is he tries to look for that two years down the road. What positions are going to be a need in two years? 
and cornerback is going to be a huge need in two years. Yeah. You know, we don't know if, if Roby's coming back. We don't know if he's going to get that fifth year option. They haven't decided that yet. And of course, Tlaib, you know, he's going to be gone. And, and even there, even if he's still here, um, injuries, you know, he's got, he's another one. He's kind of starting to break down. We see with those top corners, when they kind of hit that wall, they go quick. Yep. And, and so, yeah, having that option of Martian Latimer to add to our depth, I mean, it, it just improves the entire defense. You can have four corners on the, on the field and, you know, the pass rush, how much does that help them out? You know, we can line up man to man against the, the Patriots be one of the few teams that can just trust our corners just to do their job. Yeah. He's just, I mean, I obviously understand about the injuries and I agree with you in that regard, but to me, he's one of the few difference makers that is at a position of value that is worth a top 10 selection. So that just elevates him to me. I mean, there's been a lot of buzz recently that the 49ers might take him at two. That'd be the highest cornerback ever selected. Wow. And I, yeah, I mean, that's the league is changing, obviously more passing league, more and more volume there. And he's just so talented at that position that I just, even with just the one year and the injury history, I think he's young and there's just too much talent. I kind of view him somewhere in between Patrick Peterson and Dominique Rogers Camardi. Yeah. All right. So we have another guy that's tied for the same spot, tied for fourth for us in Ruben Foster. Yep. And this is, I have him as number five. You have him as number six on your board. And I, I love this kid. I just see pretty much everything you're looking for at that inside linebacker position. So this is again, that, that scaled value chart for, for the Broncos inside linebacker to me is a big need. I, Todd Davis isn't bad. Don't, don't, don't sit here and say, I'm trying to say Todd Davis is this terrible inside linebacker. He's just, he's a guy that you're looking to upgrade. And, you know, last year, one of our biggest problems on defense was we, we couldn't cover with the inside linebacker position. We've struggled with the tight ends. We've struggled with the running backs coming out of the backfield. And to me, Ruben Foster takes care of a lot of that problem. And then you add in the guy is just an athletic freak. And he is a guy that loves to go hit people. He wants to, he wants to initiate contact. And so just to have that kind of playmaker added to this defense to me, takes them right back into that 2015 level. Well, I don't know if it takes us to the 2015 level just because, I mean, you replaced Trevathan, but you still don't have anybody that replaces Malik Jackson. Good point. <laughs> that's true. That is true. That is true. That is a very underrated piece that's missing. You know, when teams can focus on, uh, you know, Wolf and and Von Miller and kind of let the other guys be one-on-one and, and know that they can handle their job, yeah, that makes a big difference. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I love Ruben Foster. I was big on the Broncos trading up when Kukli was in the draft. Oh my gosh. I, I wanted him so bad. How did I not know you were a Kukli fan? I don't know, but I was, I was huge. I was on the boards just screaming when he was falling to, um, I think it was pick 12. I thought he went nine. Did he know? I, I don't know. Okay. He was falling a little bit and I just sat there and said, Broncos trade up. I don't care what it takes. Do it. And uh, people were like, oh, man, he's an inside linebacker. He's not worth it. And, well, I think we're seeing that he's worth it, you know, to have that leader, to have that that weapon over the middle that nobody wants to throw to the middle, That that's huge. And then he's big in the run game. Um, I, I don't think Foster's quite that level. No. Don't I'm not going to put not it. He doesn't, 
he doesn't have the instincts that that Kukli does. But he is he's just that step below for me. Yeah, he's probably one of my favorite inside linebacking prospects since uh Kukli, who I who I agree, man. He was the one actually that honestly got me into being a big fan of the NFL draft because and watching film because watching him at Boston College, he was just a different level. Like he I'd watch it in slow motion on YouTube and he would be taking steps. He'd be had three steps down before the quarterback was even out of his draw. And he's already diagnosed the play. Like he's already knows what you're doing. He was very much just a monster middle linebacker. Now since then he was drafted ninth overall in 2012. I have devalued the inside linebacker position a little bit like the rest of the NFL. (laughs) I used to be, you know, big on that linebacker spot. I loved having that Al Wilson type. He was one of my favorites growing up and Bill Romanowski even. I love that crazy linebacker. (laughs) I didn't even care, (laughs) but just, yeah, back to Foster. I like Foster. I had him six. You had him five. And I, I have him a little lower than you, probably just mostly because injuries concern me with how violent he plays. His comments about his preferred weight style at around 237, I believe you said, which concerns me given that we want him to be 3-4, taking on blockers. You know, just that's something he's going to need to be physical. He's going to need to be heavy, sand in the pants in order to sustain against blockers. And then just the the value of the inside linebacker position, you know, he w- at Alabama he was a tone setter, but he didn't have to get off blocks that much because the guys in front of him were that good, especially against their competition. So I like Foster, and I honestly think he might be one of the guys who slides a little bit come draft day, and he might be in range in the mid-teens. So we'll see. I would I would love to walk out with him though. Yeah, would you trade up for him? Gosh, I'd I don't know. It's, that's such a hard question. Look at me, Mr. Podcast, being all wishy-washy. Uh, <laughs> like I said last week, it's just the second round and the third round are so valuable this year, in my opinion. Just there are so many quality players that day, too, that giving up those picks is going to be harder than it has been in years. So uh, I probably do. I'm a sucker for a good linebacker. I can't help it. <laughs> but – just that tone setter for the defense and what he brings to the run game and the pass game even, and just leadership and tenacity that we don't really have on the defense besides, you know, you have Ward and Tlaib, but in that front seven, I mean, you got Wolf who said he'd eat Rivers' children, but you know, you don't see that just anger, that anger play in Brandon Marshall or Todd Davis. And you love that in the linebackers. So I probably do. Way to put me on the spot. There we go. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. Yeah. (laughs) Number six. Your third overall prospect, my ninth overall prospect, John Allen. Number three overall, Carl. Tell me about that. Oh, boy. Okay, so I I thought about having him lower because I do question a little bit of anytime you're talking about an Alabama prospect, kind of like you said with Foster, how many times did he have to get off blocks? How many times did Jonathan Allen have double teams? Not many. You know, at least compared to other guys that you would be kind of projecting for that five tech defensive end. But at the same time, we were talking about earlier of Malik Jackson and just how big of a hole that is. Yeah. And Jonathan Allen, he brings a freakish athletic ability, a guy that just wants to go hit people, a guy who wants to just destroy any running back or quarterback in his presence. And and I love it. I just love watching some of his games. Um, I, I see him a lot of times struggle, you know, where he can't get quite the double moves going and he, he needs some technique work. 
and definitely against double teams, he's going to struggle early on until he learns a little bit more on how to anchor. But just the the playmaking ability, just the guy that can really disrupt an entire game with one play, man, we miss that. And that's exactly what Malik Bryan, you saw it in the Super Bowl, you yeah. know? And uh, so just... Not that, the Super that's Bowl, why, the, the game against Tom Brady. Well, yeah, that one especially too, but you oh saw it with, the, with the, the touchdown. You know, he was yeah. right there for the first touchdown there of the, the strip sack. And... Uh, so, yes, but against especially Tom Brady, where that was probably one of the, the biggest difference makers of our 2015 to 2016 of Tom Brady couldn't step up in the pocket. And when he couldn't step up in the pocket because Malik and, and Wolf were, you know, caving den, down on him, that meant that, uh, you know, Von Miller and Ware and Shane Ray and Shaq Barrett, you know, all those guys could ca- cave in on the outside, too. And Tom Brady just had nowhere to go. And you, it's one of the few times you ever see Tom Brady panic. I've never seen, I've actually never seen Brady that way before. I've seen uh, him that way a few times against the, uh, the Giants in the Super Bowl. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Good point. That's true. But that's um, pass rushers, man. Pass rushers yeah. and tight outside man coverage is how you beat Brady. Yep. And now, so, sometimes zone works as well. If you get those guys in front of you. Yeah. You know, yeah, but it's just, I, you got to hit him. You got to right. hit him again and again and again and again. So I, I I can feel you on John Allen. I will argue with you about his supremely athletic combine showed to me and the tape. I just don't see a guy who's that athletic. I mean, he's very he's a good athlete. Don't get me wrong. We have him in the top 10 in our big board. So he's a good enough athlete, but he's not that explosive, you know, and Couple that with the shoulder injuries. Ah, oh, man, I like him, but I think I think he's going to be another one who might fall. And I feel like you're getting a very safe player, you know, coach's kind of player. He's going to be in the locker room working and in the film room. But I think the upside is just lacking there. You're going to get a solid player, maybe a multi-time Pro Bowl, but he's definitely not a franchise play, franchise changing player in my eyes. So I would be happy to get him. And I think that he may fall to the mid-teens. Eh, gosh, I don't know. It depends on his medicals, if I'd trade up for him. But like I said, I have him at nine, you have him at three. And he's a good player. But I think this just speaks again to the this type of class. This class specific, specifically, there aren't many franchise-changing changing players at the top. For me, I think I got one of the guys coming up here. Two of the guys coming up, actually. Lattimore, Solomon Thomas, and Garrett, or uh, Miles Garrett. And John Allen, I don't think he's a franchise changer. He's just a solid player. Right. Well, I, like I said, I'm, I'm comparing him to Malik Jackson. I, I think yeah. he could be that kind of player. Yeah. And Malik Jackson, I mean, he just got big money because teams viewed him as a big-time playmaker. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think he's viewed as that top three, you know, five-tech defensive end or anything like that. He's just viewed as another great playmaker. Yep. Agreed, and I would be very happy to get him because I am a defensive front guy myself. I like the offensive line, but my heart will always be with the defensive line. So to get another talented player there, and you remember, I mean, I was so big on Malik McDowell. That's somebody, you know, he's somebody that would be interesting to care, compare about John Allen. He's kind of the exact opposite because Allen doesn't have that length, that explosion, that ability, but he's so much more technical, a better student of the game, a harder worker, you know, has a good motor. They're like the exact opposites. Yeah. 
If you if you combine the two, you would have the number the one overall, overall pick. pick. Yep. Yep. Over miles Oh yeah, easily. <laughs> yeah. At least the good traits of each of them. Yeah. If you combine the bad traits, well, you would have a undrafted player. But yeah. that's another another story. But anyway, so moving on here, we have uh, two safeties for our, our tied for seventh here. Yep. And Jamal Adams, we both had him at number seven. And Malik Hooker, where you had him at number eight, I had him at number six. I, I think, do you mind if we just kind of bunch these two together here a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. We actually have um, three players tied for seven. Oh, sorry. Yes, Leonard Fournette is our number seven, but he's kind of a little bit different. So we'll talk yeah. about him just a little bit here. Um, but Malik Hooker, here's why I had him at six. Um, I am a big proponent for turnovers. That is, I don't know, for, for a defense, I mean, that's how you completely change a game. That's how in the playoffs when Houston was downright terrible, somehow they were still staying with the Patriots because their defense was making plays. Their offense just didn't do anything. <clears throat> Osweather. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, sorry. Yeah, there we go. I'm good now. But yes, to have that kind of game-changing safety, oh man, that is, that is such a huge weapon, you know, with, with Seattle. Uh, Richard Sherman wasn't the same player when all of a sudden, you know, his safeties are both going down with injury. And to me, those are the guys that made that defense. You know, they along made it where, very deep along with a very deep defensive front. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I agree with that. You know, I, I, I mean, I like Sherman. I think he's an okay corner. I think he's overrated a little bit, but I, like I said, just having those safeties back there to go and make plays and just know, even if the corners make a mistake, the safety is going to go and correct that is huge. And I think both these guys can do that. Don't get me wrong. I just hooker just seems to be a guy that really has that playmaking where he has great hands and just great instincts to go make a play. So that's why I have him just that hair higher, that one spot higher than Adams. Man, I, I went back and forth on these two so many times. I'm glad they came up tied in our rankings because they honestly are tied for me. They're both safeties, but they're completely different players. Jamal Adams is going to make his hay more closer to the line of scrimmage, lining up as a nickelback, covering tight ends, covering running backs, and just being more of a in-the-box presence. Where Malik Hooker is going to be that cover one that can cover so much range in the back end and create turnovers. I think Adams has a much higher uh, higher floor just because he, I think he's just safer. You have more tape, obviously, better competition, better all-around skill set. But yeah. Malik Hooker has special ability to track balls and to go up and create turnovers that I honestly, if, if I did this again, I might've put Hooker over Adams. It was just the <laughs> first time I put Adams through. Yeah. They're, both, they're both very talented. I think Hooker, you're getting more of that high ceiling, but also a lower floor and Adams is a safer pick. So I think I yeah. put Adams higher, honest to God, I put Adams higher specifically because he'd be a better replacement for TJ Ward than uh, Hooker would. And I think Stewart is better at free safety as well as uh, Justin Simmons. So yeah, it, honestly, it had to do with the Broncos fit. I think Hooker would probably go earlier. I think he's a more elite player. But just for the Broncos, I think Adams is a better fit. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I kind of, I guess I kind of forgot about that. I just kind of yeah. looked at it as, you know, which safety would I really have on my team? And Hooker, yeah, there, there are some concerns. He has some injury concerns. He had to have surgery here this offseason already. Um, but yeah, there's just, and part of it, what for me is right before I turned in my top 30 to you, uh, somebody had posted a video on Twitter. I think it was of one of hookers interceptions 
And at one point, he was not on the screen. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you just see the quarterback's head kind of snap to the right, and you just see Hooker come flying out of nowhere. Gosh. And he goes and makes the play. And I'm just sitting there going, like, I, I, I don't even know how a person moves like that. And he just yeah. to have those kind of instincts, like, I know exactly where this quarterback's going to abandon where he was. You know, those – those kind of players that can just make those kind of plays. I mean, like I said, it it complete, completely changes an entire game when a quarterback can go or when a when a safety can go do that. So that's why I have him just that hair higher. But I like both of them. Yeah, I agree. And both of them probably not going to be there for Denver. So, right. Moving right along. First guy that actually probably not going to be there for Denver as well. Never mind. I skipped him. We're going to talk Leonard Fournette. We both love Leonard Fournette. I mean, there's no ifs ands if ands or buts about it. I have him slightly higher than you do. I have him fifth on my board. You have him ninth. I know there's been some pushback about what he is. If this was, you know, 20 years ago, he'd have been the first overall pick, I think. But the game's changed. He doesn't have the same, you know, that Le'Veon Bell or David Johnson skill set. He's more of the girly Adrian Peterson mold where you play him uh, with the quarterback under center, run him up the middle, some ISO run, some power gap scheme, and, just let the dude establish a physicality and tone on your offense. And, I mean, there's talk. I mean, there's recent talk. I think it was just today. Cleveland Browns would consider Leonard Fournette at one. That would be beyond silly, but that's just what the NFL thinks about this kid is just a an offense-defining player. And he's one yeah. of the ones that I think is a one of those transcendental talents. I mean, there's obviously issues, questions about his hands, questions about his usage. At LSU, I mean, he had so many carries his sophomore and junior year. Questions about his ankle. But when he comes in, you have an offensive identity, and that's something that the Broncos haven't had for almost for two years now. I mean, I would even argue last year with Peyton Manning, we did not have an offensive identity because it just felt like the wheels were spinning and nothing was going on. Nothing was going right. You bring in Fournette, you have your offense set. And to pair that with this defense would be incredible. No, I, I agree with that all. I mean, you and I, I think it was actually our very first episode of yes. Huddle Up. I think we spent like half the episode just talking about how much we love Fournette. Honestly, I'm looking at this now. I'm going, why in the world do I have him at nine? Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I think it's a little bit. I was thinking of like just knowing with the offense switching, you know, where we're going to maybe be a little bit more in shotgun, or at least that's kind of the direction they kind of have been hinting towards. Um, just what kind of fit do you have to change your entire offense now that he comes in where you put him under center or you, you know, go under center a little bit more. That was more just a little bit of questions on that. But at the same time, yeah, when you can have that kind of offensive identity to me, I'm sitting there saying quarterbacks learn how to play under center. Yes. You know, <laughs> I don't care who you are. You go learn how to play under center because we need it with this kid. And uh, so, yeah, to have that kind of offensive identity, I don't think there's another offensive player in this draft that brings that much with him. You know, that's I've, our I've, first offensive player on the board. No, OJ Howard. Oh, dang, you're right. Dang, yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How could I forget? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's your boy. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's, yeah, I, just for that, how much he changes the entire game. Because, you know, you, I, I've talked to a few Cowboys fans and they have talked about, you know, just like Dak Prescott made a huge difference, but just having that established run game changed the entire offense and change the entire defense. You know, when you're giving that defense rest, when you are just, you know, destroying a defense, when you are making that offense have to stay on the sideline, like it changes everything. And with Fournette, yeah, he he brings that. I talked to somebody the other day about 
the worst play the Broncos had this past season season was third and one. Ugh. There was yes. no there was no distance I hated more last year than third and one. And Fournette to me changes that. Even yeah. if the offensive line is terrible, this guy will drag three people with him. So yeah, if there's any chance that we would ever have a chance at him, um, like I said, Cleveland's considering him at number one overall. I heard Kyle Shanahan loves this kid, is considering him at number two overall. Pretty much every team in the top 10 is sitting there going, I want Latimer, or I mean, I want Fournette. And so the odds, again, of him following to us are very, very slim. I think he's going to a visit at uh, the Bengals this week as well. So just doesn't sound likely that he'd be there. I mean, he's yeah. a he's a franchise changing back, and I know that he's more old school than new school, but... The NFL is still won by punching the other guy in the mouth, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you know, as much as Brady is a celebrity and an idol in the NFL, the Patriots do not win without reestablishing that offensive line, having a solid uh, running back attack and winning up front on the offense and the defense. They went back and fixed that this year, and what do you know, they're Super Bowl champs. Yeah. Having a legendary coach and quarterback doesn't hurt, but I st- it still wins up front, in my opinion. Yeah. So, Nope, that was honestly maybe the biggest move this past offseason was the Patriots getting back their old offensive line coach out of retirement. Yep. And I think every Patriot fan would tell you the same thing. You know, all of a sudden their offensive line going from Brady getting hit 20 times in a game to, you know what, they actually have a run game going. They have, you know, protection going well. You know, he changed everything. And that's, again, why, for me at least, I have some of these offensive linemen a little bit higher. They are yep. not finished products, but I like the skill set that I think with the right coaching could do well. And I much I I would not be as high on these guys with our last coaching staff. But with our new one, I feel like there's a good chance that they could actually be developed into something. We have one last guy here, top ten, Corey Davis. We both had him at, at 10. And number one wide receiver for us. Uh we both love this kid, love his skill set. You know, he he's not your I would say typical number one wide receiver. He's a one B. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not, this wide receiver class doesn't wow me. I'm actually more wowed by the slot wide receivers than I am the outside wide receivers for this draft. Um, Corey Davis to me is one that can play either spot. And, you know, we saw him there where he was moved around um, to find the best matchup and, there's probably no player in college football that was featured more as an offensive weapon other than running backs. I mean, at the wide receiver position, nobody featured more than Corey Davis. Hugely productive, and I love how he wins. I mean, he's not – I'm very sad that we didn't get to see him run at the combine because I don't – I mean, he's not – you know, he's not going to run a 4-3, but he's got size, he's got smarts, he's got savviness, and just – I think he projects very well to the next level, specifically in Denver, where you can play him on the outside. You can play him as a big slot. You can rotate him multiple multiple positions on the offense, and I'm not worried about him learning the playbook. I'm not worried about him not putting in the work in the film room or with the quarterback. Adding a guy like Corey Davis would be an absolute nightmare to cover. I mean, the only team that I think could cover those three guys would be the Denver Broncos with our three cornerbacks. So... Just talk about a weapon for the quarterback. And I know, you know, we very much stress trenches over skill players because you have to win up front foundation. But man, just he, he 
he's somebody who honestly might be there at 20. I don't think he will be. It would be silly if he was. I would honestly think him, really consider him at nine because A.J. Green hasn't had somebody paired next to him in ever. I mean, Mohamed Sanu is solid, but he's not, you know, not that great. He's not a 1B. But Corey Davis, I mean, he's he's going to get a great chance in the NFL, and I think that, I mean, we both think that he'll probably end up the best wide receiver in this class. Yeah, no, he's uh, – wide receiver is my position. I love wide receiver. And he is one of the few guys I'm just sitting there watching just – he is so fun to watch. You know, he has great route running, has decent speed, like you said, decent size. Uh, his hands are pretty good. He has a couple drops here and there. But when you consider the volume of passes that are coming his way and you consider – I mean – this is one thing that I loved was teams knew he was going to get the ball. Yes. And he still made plays. You saw as soon as the ball was snapped, I saw linebackers. I saw safeties all going his direction. I mean, it, it was crazy watching that. I've never seen any other wide receiver in this class. that's even close to getting that kind of attention. And yet they still threw it to him and he still went and made plays. Um, that That's just incredible. You know, there's other guys like Mike Williams, I don't mind Mike Williams. I think he's going to be a decent wide receiver. I don't think he's going to be anything like top five wide receiver. But part of it is for me, there's so many other weapons at that Clemson. He had a lot of one-on-one opportunities. You know, we didn't see him having to be in that double coverage and having to use his route running to get open. You know, he could just go win the 50-50 ball and call it a day. Yep. And, and that was, you know, like I said, with Corey Davis, I'm seeing him in triple coverage still come down with the ball. I'm still seeing him where, you know, linebackers and safeties are trying to come over and he's got such good route running that he has got them confused on where they're supposed to be going. And that that's just, that's special talent coming out of college. You don't see that in a college prospect very often. So that that's why for me, I have him as top 10 and yes, I have no problem. If he is there at 20 Broncos jump on that. Yeah. Top 10 talent at 20. You can't, especially, I mean, wide receivers that, that next tier down from those core positions. In my opinion, I mean, you look at how they get paid; they think they have the fifth highest franchise tag number, so not total value position, but pretty high up there. And with uh, you know Demarius Thomas having some issues sometimes with drops, and Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, I know we just signed them, but getting that third guy would be huge for the team. And yeah. I, I would love to bring him in Denver. He could be a Bronco. Go Broncos to Bronco. There we go. Boom! So, it's perfect. Yeah. All right, well, that will wrap up Episode 9 of our Draft-Focused Huddle Up podcast. We went prospects 1 through 10 on our big board, and we are going to be hitting the next 15 a little quicker on the next episode. You know, we just love to talk prospects. I mean, time gets a little away from us, but we can't help that. And with just two weeks left until the draft, gosh, there's just so much more to talk about. So make sure you're tuning in. Keep checking in on Mile High Huddle for all your updates on free agency and all other Broncos news. You can find Carl on Twitter at Carl Dumbler MHH, as well as myself at Nick Kendall MHH. And find our Denver Broncos articles on Mile High Huddle and other content on the Huddle Up Podcast Twitter account at HuddleUp underscore MHH. Again, please be sure to subscribe and rate us. For Carl Dumbler, I'm Nick Kendall wrapping up the ninth episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you soon. Go Broncos. Mile high huddle.
Fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's uh actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, "Fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent or more." But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. Fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent or more. Fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's uh actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, "Fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent or more." But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. Fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent or more.